Welcome to Mind Love, episode 204. Today's episode is all about giving yourself permission to feel. Focus on what you're feeling. You don't need to always identify it because sometimes we can't identify what we're feeling. We're just feeling off. We're just feeling something. That's okay too. Still focus on it. So if you're feeling, let's say that grief is bu- bubbling up or those uncomfortable emotions of having a conversation with your colleague at work, or maybe it's just like, you know what? Something's off in my gut. I don't know what it is. Focus on that emotion. All right. So what is it? Okay. I've got this weird feeling in my gut. Then I want you to enter within the emotion. Turn up your frequency with mind love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If you haven't subscribed yet, hit that little button. Subscribing, sharing, and five-star reviews are really a great way to give back if you love the show. They help the show climb the charts, which helps me get even better guests. Today, I would like to share a short and sweet review from Zoe Robbs, who says, I love this podcast. It has definitely changed my life, and every subject is so apparent to me. Thank you. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Zoe, all the way from the United Kingdom. Your review meant so much to me. And now on to the show. Do you make a conscious effort to feel your feelings? Really think about that question and be honest with yourself, because it's not as obvious as you might think it is. If you would have asked me this question a decade ago, I would have said, well, yeah, of course I feel my feelings. I have no choice, especially when my feelings are sporadic and overwhelming breakdowns that are impossible to ignore. At the time, I thought that because I had feelings, especially my big feelings, that I was feeling them. And I sort of was. Like I said, I would have these big breakdowns where all I could feel was my pain. But at the same time, I was doing everything in my power to numb those same feelings. Party drugs, prescription drugs, alcohol, food, social media, even just keeping myself busy or avoiding being alone. But even so, the breakdowns came. What I didn't realize at the time is that even though my body was forcing me into submission, I was still resisting. I would either be trying to speed up the breakdown by distracting myself, or I would just sink into the sad story, the woe is me mindset, where I'm the victim of my circumstances and just how hard I have it. Usually this would lead to me crying even harder, like straight up having a toddler tantrum alone in my apartment. On one hand, it was not a bad thing that I was actually releasing emotions, but on the other hand, I didn't realize that feeding the story wasn't the healthiest way to do that. By feeding the story, yes, I was releasing emotions, but I was also building up new ones as I went. It's kind of like trying to drain a bathtub with the faucet still running. Depending on the strength of that stream, you might be filling up the tub faster than you're draining it. Well, the same goes for our emotions. If we're feeling our feelings by sinking into our victimhood, we're likely building up more emotions than we're releasing. I'm going to be honest. I still have big, giant toddler cry sessions. Only now I know how to focus on my body. I think of it kind of like a therapeutic session, kind of like anger releasing practices where you get a bat and you just smash it only with less cleanup. Well, our body carries trapped emotions. 
If we don't constantly release those emotions, they will find a way out, only in ways that we have even less control of. So they might come out by random breakdowns or by lashing out at people that we love, or it could manifest as depression or anxiety. Or as in my case, it could manifest into low self-esteem that causes you to self-sabotage. So today we're going to learn a better way to feel. Our guest is Ashley Bernardi. The traumatic death of her father at a young age and diagnosis of Lyme disease and postpartum depression after the birth of her third child deepened her passion for health, wellness, and spirituality and taught her how to access her own authentic power to heal her life. She is also a certified life designer and received her certificate in the science of well-being from Yale University. So three key things we will learn are how to move through your emotions with the feel framework, how to get your body in balance after physical trauma, and the power of primal breakdowns. But before we start feeling all our feelings, I want to invite you to wake up to the morning mind love. Every weekday morning, you get a little inspiration just to set your tone for the day and give you something positive to focus on, like a short note from your higher self. Plus, when you sign up, you get two free gifts, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you grow. And it's all completely free. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up. And now let's welcome Ashley Bernardi to the show. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. So excited to be here. So what inspired you to focus your efforts and your writing on authentic power and actually feeling your feelings? Oh gosh, this great question. This goes back actually to my childhood. The reason why I wanted to write this book actually came during the pandemic. And it had come after I had done about five years of pretty significant physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional healing. And when we were all experiencing the early stages of the pandemic, there was so much fear. There was so much collective trauma. And I felt that, oh, I've been here before. I know what to do. I know how to move through this. I know how to process this. And so I started writing my story of dealing with a childhood trauma, which is that my father died in front of me when I was 11 years old. I tried to save his life. My sister, who was nine, tried to save his life, gave him CPR. I called 911. My mom was there. And he ultimately died and there was nothing that we could do. He suffered from a sudden death heart attack. So that trauma changed the course and direction of my life. For 27 years, I did not deal with my feelings. I did not tell people I lost my dad. I, no one knew. Buried that. Instead, what I did <laughs> was buried those feelings of grief, sadness, despair. And it all just was buried in my body. But of course, that's not how the body works. It came out in other ways like people-pleasing, lack of boundaries, destructive relationships, work addiction, alcohol addiction. There were so many uh, negative consequences of not dealing with my feelings. And it wasn't until the universe knocked me over the head with another trauma. In my mid-30s, I had delivered my third healthy baby girl and started getting flu-like symptoms every single day. It was a mystery illness that went undiagnosed. On top of that, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression. While I was going through that treatment, it was discovered that I also had Lyme disease, which is why I was feeling so horribly sick. And I mean, when I say horribly sick, it's I could not care for my children. I could not care for myself. I had lost 
so much weight. I had encephalitis in my brain. I had multiple trips to the hospital, taken by ambulance. I had lost feeling in my fingers and my legs. I couldn't eat anything. Everything just went right through my body. I lost control of my bowels. I mean, I could go on and on with the symptoms. And there was a point in this despair that I was feeling where I just got on my knees and was like, God, take me now. If this is what it's going to be like, I don't want my kids to see me like this. But that's really when I like got on my knees and started praying like, okay, take me now or show me the way, heal me. And there was that moment where I was like, okay, if I'm going to live like this, I'm really going to try to heal myself. And it was a spiritual, emotional, mental, physical experience. And that what I learned is that all that trauma that I had been bearing for 27 years came out. It was like coming out through Lyme disease. It was coming out through a physical places. And so I started addressing my traumas. I started addressing the loss and the grief that I had felt for my father. And it came out in some really beautiful <laughs> primal ways of screaming and crying. So I talk all about this in my book. And it was a long, excruciating road to heal. But I'm here today to say that Whew, I did it. I got through it. And that's why I wrote my book, Authentic Power, Give Yourself Permission to Feel, because I gave myself permission to feel. And once I did, my whole life changed. That is such a beautiful story. And I relate to so many aspects of it, even though our stories are different. My dad died and it was the opposite of in front of me. I was supposed to be there and I chose not to go. And then he died of lymphoma. <laughs> and so I had this big regret and I also didn't understand that by burying my pain, I thought that made me stronger. Like I can just hold this all together. But instead it manifested into bulimia and terrible relationships and self-sabotage and all sorts of things. And so it doesn't even matter where the trauma comes from. Often it plays out in the same story because we aren't taught these things. And so, so many of us do the same things that we have been taught by just like buck up and get over it is what I was told so often. And it's yep. interesting because I was sharing with my audience that if you would have asked me like, do you feel your feelings? I would have said yes, because sometimes I would have these big breakdowns where I couldn't mm -hmm. hold it in. And I would be emoting in a way, but at the same time, before I knew better, while I was having those primal things, it was like, oh, I was also feeding the story in my own victimhood. And so I <laughs> equated it to like having the faucet on while trying to drain the bathtub where it's like, I, yeah, I was sort of releasing, but I was also building up more stuff. So it wasn't ultimately that helpful. And when I was pregnant, I feel like I most definitely had prenatal depression. And so I feel like it was like the final straw of my body forcing me to release things. I yeah. would cry for no reason. And like a toddler tantrum, just like screaming, my husband would go snowboarding and I would be here for like four hours, just crying as hard as I could. And I had this realization while it was happening because in those times I wasn't necessarily feeding the story. It was just like I needed to release it. And I just had my intuition would come through like, this is your old stuff that you've been carrying. Yeah. This is yeah. like the final straw. You're finally releasing it. And I remember feeling so depressed for like a month to where I'm like, man, am I going to have postpartum depression as well, which I was worried about? Like, am I going to be a good mother? All these things. And then I had this giant meltdown, the biggest one of my whole pregnancy. And afterwards, I felt so much lighter 
And so you do say that we need to get primal with our meltdowns. Why do you think that's so helpful? What's happening there? Oh my gosh. Thank you for asking this. And before I answer, I just want to say something about that you touched on that's really important is about how like when trauma happens to us, we think that we're supposed to be strong. This is what exactly what I write about in my book is that I was the daughter of an army colonel. So my whole life, I was taught that I had to be so strong. And ironically, the original title of my book was not so strong. And then I changed it because I was like, well, it's actually about accessing your authentic power, which is your wisdom within. But we put on in society, we put on this mask of strength when things happen. We don't really get real and say, this is how I'm really feeling. This is how I'm really doing. We put on that mask like, hey, yeah, everything's good. And when my dad died, it was like, I put on that mask of like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be strong because my dad was really strong and he was a Vietnam War veteran and I'm being strong for him. But in reality, little 11-year-old Ashley who watched her father die was anything but strong. It was when I came to that realization in my mid-30s, like, oh my God, I don't need to be strong. I need to feel my feelings is when everything started coming out. So going back to feeling your feelings, those primal emotions are so important. So I learned about this from Dr. Jamie Hope, and she is an ER physician in Detroit. And part of my book, it has my memoir, but I also interviewed over 20, I think 24 experts on really how I healed my own life. Dr. Jamie Hope and I had this amazing conversation about getting primal with your meltdowns. And so she's like, okay, cavemen, what did they used to do? Scream and like punch things and like hit their chest, kind of like what apes do. We don't do that anymore, but that's an energetic way to release your emotions. And there's actually safe ways that we as humans can do it now that we're not accessing. So what she recommends is something called your stress hard and your stress toolkit. So what can you do to stress hard? Dr. Hope recommends a couple of things that I love talking about. So the first thing is dish therapy. Have you ever heard of dish therapy? No, but I'm excited. <laughs> right, right. And full disclaimer, I haven't tried it yet, but right over here on my office, I have a pile of dishes that are waiting for my dish therapy. So Dr. Jamie Hope says, this is the most satisfying you can do. You take an old trash can and you get a bunch of old dishes that you haven't used or get them from like a thrift store or whatever, put some glasses on, make sure if you have neighbors, give them a heads up, your family members, and you go outside and you smash dishes into a trash can. And she says, it is the most satisfying thing you will ever do because you're releasing that angry energy just by throwing dishes. But if you don't have dishes or you think that's like weird, you don't have to do that. There's other ways that you can stress hard. You don't even need anything. It's about maybe it's punching a pillow or punching the air or getting it out and kickboxing. She has something also called that she recommends called a damn it doll. And it's a doll for adults that you can just like whack against a wall or a bed or a pillow and just release that energy. For me, another amazing way to stress hard is to scream. Those primal, like, have you ever like just yelled out like this, a massive scream? And I know you're a meditator and everything. So when I do this, it's like, I feel high on life. It is like I have been rejuvenated and lifted. Those emotions are there for a reason. They're also there to get out. So why not scream, right? It feels so good. But then there's also ways you can stress soft. And maybe that's through breath work and meditation and breathing. And so that's where I learned about having a hard and soft stress toolkit in my back pocket for moments when I'm feeling like I need to release my emotions and I'm going to do it in a primal way and in a safe way. So that's what releasing our primal emotions is all about. That is so helpful. And I do know the power of screaming. 
I cannot remember where I first read this, but I talked about it in a really earlier episode about just screaming in your car when you're in traffic. It's awesome because no one can really hear you. And even if they do, they don't care and they're going to drive by any second. So, And there was a show I was watching that they used to go into the subway and scream when the subway <laughs> went by. But there's something about that. It gets like into the gut. It's guttural. And want to know what else is interesting. So I don't consider myself religious, but I'm going back and reading like the main scriptures of religions right now because I just find it interesting and I think there's so much truth in a lot of it. And anyway, so I I just happened to be in Genesis 37 yesterday and it was talking about how, I think it was Jacob, tore his clothes. In the little notes, it said tearing their clothes was a common way to express grief way back in the biblical days. And I was like, oh my gosh, how perfect is this for what we're about to be talking about? And so I think there's something to that. And we think it's like barbaric or that we don't have our shit together if we're doing these things. But maybe it's all the people pretending to have their shit together that are just slowly leaking out their poisons. (laughs) Yes, no, that's so true. And I I love that you said that because even in the topic of grief, like society now, there has been a massive amount of grief in this past year. We've lost so many lives due to the pandemic. But I feel society, we don't have a safe place to allow ourselves to grieve. And I even use this example in my book. Back in the day, if you lost a spouse, you would grieve for a full year. Like you would wear black, people would know it. And now it's like, you go through loss and you're expected to get back on the saddle. You get four days of bereavement and with your company or whatever, and you just go, you just keep plowing through life. I don't think that's safe. Well, I know it's not safe. I did that. That's exactly what I did. When my dad died, I went back to school a week later and guess what? I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel supported. And it's not anyone's fault. It's just that I was thrust back into an environment where I was supposed to act and be normal, but I felt anything but. I felt like I didn't belong there. And those are valid feelings that I felt, but there was not the support from society and this expectation that like, hey, she's not okay. Maybe she shouldn't be back in school. Maybe we should find another way to support her. And that's still true today for any type of grief. So it's really interesting that you say that. And it's when he was grieving, he like tore that off in such a primal way. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I was told after a time, it's time for you to get over this. And so not only was it not supportive, but it created a situation where I began to create a self-belief that further didn't serve me, that I was the kind who couldn't get my stuff together, that I was broken, that I was irresponsible or that I was wallowing. And the funny thing is, is it did lead me to wallowing. Like I can look back on that time and it was almost my rebel spirit being like, fine, I'll show you how much I won't get over this. (laughs) And I could feel myself even almost using it I still have confusion when I think back to this because I know there was a part of me that used it as an excuse. And then I know there was another part of me that was doing all I knew how, which was whatever seemed the easiest, which was self-sabotaging and Mm -hmm. numbing and doing all those things that we weren't supposed to do. But I was just dealing with it by myself, not sharing what was going on internally. And so I thought it was a unique situation to me. And That brings me to, you did interview 20 experts on healing from trauma. So you were able to kind of compare your situation with experts on how they either teach people or have dealt with their own traumas. What did you learn? Oh my gosh. I learned so... 
So I'm like, how much time do you have? I mean, it took me five years to learn all of this. I'll say this about grief and then I can talk about the experts, but I still miss my dad every day. And I'm sure you do too. Like it's not anything I am ever going to get over. And that was the greatest lesson in this healing process. I think I was so scared to feel the trauma because I didn't want to get over it. Would that mean I would lose my dad's memory? Like you don't get over it. And now that I'm healed and I process it, I still process it daily. Like I was doing an interview the other day for a TV show about losing my dad so young. And do you think I needed a mental health day? And I'm like, yeah, I did. I needed one. But it was this interview about my dad and I got off and I just cried because I was looking at pictures of him and I missed him and he died 27 years ago. And now I'm like, that's okay. That's, that's okay. This is not something we ever have to get over. And I'm also just so grateful that I still miss him 27 years later because it shows what a great impact he had on my life. So I just want to say that because I feel like you can relate having lost your father. It's just like nothing we can ever get over and we never will. Right. And actually it opens up new wounds whenever I do something new and exciting. Like when I got married, I was like, ah, I wonder what my dad's relationship with my husband would have been. When I had a baby, I'm like, oh, I wonder how my dad would have impacted. I could cry right now. And September 19th was the anniversary of the day he died. And he's been gone since 2004. And still, I cried that day. I had my time. And my husband knows September 19th is one of those days where I get to do my self-care, you know, whatever I need. So yeah, it's definitely still there. Yeah. Uh, It is. And I'm going to say this too. I never wrote about the night my dad died or ever talked about it until I actually started writing my book. So what's interesting is that I had interviewed all these healing experts about my story and about how I healed and their wisdom. But I felt like there was a big chunk of the book missing and I knew exactly what it was. I was like, I need to tell the readers about the night I lost my dad. So I wrote it out. And I'd never done that before. And I had such a profound release of grief, just sobbing, shaking, called my husband at work. I was like, you got to come home, reached out to a girlfriend and was like, this is what just happened. And it was so incredibly hard, but it was so beautiful at the same time. Also, because my mom and my sister had never heard my account either. And it actually opened up the door for us to have, and that's another chapter in my book, Making Space for Brave Conversations, having a conversation with your family and their account of the night you lost the most important person with you is the bravest conversation I've ever had with my family. And I did it recently. I didn't do it after he died. I did it 27 years after he died. So I guess I just wanted to say that because... writing out that story was probably one of the most healing things that I could have done in my healing process in five years. And it was also the last thing I did to finish this book. In the book, yes, I have amazing experts. So I have interviewed everyone from my life coaches and energy workers that I've worked with to my spiritual mentor, Leanne Taylor. I interviewed my friend Dan DeLuca about healing and the arts because I'm a former dancer. I still love to dance, but I used to dance. And just about how art in general has always been a beautiful way to me express my feelings and heal through my grief. For me, it's dance. It could be, it could look like anything for anyone. I also interview my friends, Annalise Richmond and Kushal Chotsky with The Art of Living. 
doing. And I've gone through breathwork courses through them. And I don't know for your listeners, I'm sure there's many listeners interested in breathwork, but woo, doing breathwork, it has been one of the most healing things that I've done. Just like learning to pause and putting my hand on my belly or just any sort of breath work hand on my heart has allowed me to slow down, especially for someone who's like type A business owner, former work addict, just that's been an incredible healing mechanism too. So that's just a sampling of some of the amazing experts that are my friends and share their incredible wisdom in my book and have helped me heal along the way too. A lot of those modalities that I've delved into too, another one that you didn't mention, but I actually did a few times and it felt amazing is ecstatic dance. It's the things that were, you're not thinking about people watching you. You're not performing for me, at least I know performance can be a way, but for me, it's when I'm not worried about what anyone thinks I'm not performing and I'm just expressing whatever that is. It could be a guttural sound or moving my body sporadically or just like getting into these places. That's why I like breath work so much is because it gets into these parts of your breath that you don't use just by breathing like a normal human. You know, you're like, man, there's probably some stuck air in there from 1988. <laughs> it's so true. And you mentioned part of your healing is making space for brave conversations. Oh, yeah. And you talked about a conversation that you had with your mom. What was it about that that is healing? And how can other people use brave conversations to express? I love that. For me, my brave conversations are around the topic of death. For you, your brave conversations may look different. Mine, because I lost my father so young, I lived with the anxiety of losing another family member. My mom, and at the time it was my mom and my sister, and now I have a husband and three children. So the post-traumatic stress disorder of loss for me is very real because of the loss I experienced early on. But what I learned from my friend, Dr. Martha Callahan, who is a naturopathic doctor and wrote the book, A Death Lived, and it was about her husband's beautiful journey of death and how we can actually make the conversation of dying not scary. It can actually look really beautiful. And for me, having a brave conversation is about having conversations with my family members about death and dying and how we can actually make it a beautiful process and not a process that has to be scary. Because for me, when I lost my dad, it was really scary. Even still, I get chills like thinking about the process in the sudden way that he did die. And if we can have these conversations, my husband and I talk about it. Like when I die, he wants to be like put in the grass and in our backyard and just making it really beautiful. We celebrate births. You know, I'd love for society to become more accepting of celebrating death and not seeing it so much as this scary thing ending, but this beautiful compilation of life. But I think in order to get there, we need to start talking about it more. So making space for brave conversations. And that's where I interviewed Dr. Martha Callahan in my book. And so step one was me talking to my mom about like, what is this going to look like for you or my sister or my husband? And like, how do you want it to look? And it could be as simple as writing a letter to even yourself. Like, what do you want the end of your life to look like? I'm just using death as an example, because again, this has been 
front and center of my life for so long. And it's been a great, great fear of mine ever since my father died. But it could be any sort of brave conversations. It could be conversations with your kids, with relationships, with your colleagues, with your mentors. And it's all about really making space for it. For me, it starts with like letter writing and nobody ever has to see it. If it's only if it's just you, but I think starting to get it out on paper and from your brain into, and for me, it's like, what do I want my end of life to look like? It actually makes it feel safer and more accepting of it too. Right. What was coming to mind for me, I've had a number of different traumas. And for some reason, the one that was popping up was my sexual assault. And Mm -hmm. I think that brave conversations are such a big part of healing because when we are holding in our grief, it's a very isolating thing. Not only that, the stories that we're telling ourselves just get built up like this armor that creates an even bigger disconnect from other people. Ironically, I feel like I started to get the most healing from sharing my story on my podcast, actually, because there was a a long time that I didn't even realize it until I started sharing that I was from day one that that happened, I was worried what other people would think. I was worried that people wouldn't believe me. I was trying to sort things out in my own mind. I was worried that I would be outcasted because he was popular, whatever the fears are, and they're going to be different for everybody. And it just built up this armor that I was alone, that nobody would understand. And so when I finally got it out and sharing on my podcast made it easier for me to then actually have a deep conversation with my mom, which I didn't even know I was scared to do until I got it out. And so on the podcast, it's like no one's talking back. (laughs) I was able to release that without the fear of somebody else's facial expression or the first comment they would make afterwards or whatever. And then that strengthened me enough to actually go talk with some of the people that were there at the time, not there, there, but would have been my support system if I would have let them in. And it made me realize that I just needed to express. And it's funny because I think there were different times where the response, like I could feel myself bristling almost with the response. And I was like, oh, that's why I needed to get it out. I need to express it in my way, my truth, regardless of if there was this truth or but that, or if you wouldn't have put yourself in this situation or whatever it is. And I know that one of your main teaching points is the importance of connecting both with yourself and others. How did that help you find healing? Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do. And there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think This Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth. And as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Brittany unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood, and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Brittany finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Brittany's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. 
Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story is About You wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything. Like this dark cloud is over my day, and I look to the past and the future, and everything feels tainted, like this is how it's always been. Those type of days used to last months, and now they're pretty few and far between, and they rarely last more than a few hours. But it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than. But if we keep them bottled up, the shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. You know I'm all about aligning in every aspect of life, right? Well, that philosophy extends to hiring, too. When it comes to finding the perfect fit for your business, sometimes the best approach is to stop the endless searching and start focusing on alignment. And that's where Indeed comes in. Indeed is like the matchmaker of the hiring world. With millions of job seekers visiting their platform every month, their powerful matching engine is designed to connect you with candidates who truly align with your needs and values. But here's the thing. Indeed isn't just about finding any old match. They're committed to delivering quality. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed provides the highest caliber of candidates compared to other job sites. And that's the kind of alignment I'm talking about. As a busy mom juggling episodes, clients, retreat planning, family life, I just don't have time to waste on a drawn out hiring process. And that's why I love Indeed because it streamlines everything from scheduling interviews to screening applicants and messaging potential hires all in one central hub. And the more you use Indeed, the smarter it gets. It learns from your preferences. With over 3.5 million businesses worldwide trusting Indeed to align them with top-notch talent, it's pretty clear that this platform is the real deal. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support my show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of your main teaching points is the importance of connecting both with yourself and others. How did that help you find healing? Oh my gosh. Well, wow. I mean, just like your story, I can so resonate with that feeling of loneliness and isolation and very much like you, Melissa, it wasn't until I started sharing my story. Did I not feel so alone? Did I actually feel I was healing? And oh my God, God forbid, helping someone. And also, I'm not the only one who's gone through this. What do you mean? I felt so lonely and isolated as a child because I never wanted to talk about it. And this goes back to why I had very destructive habits and personality traits because I was just burying it. 
what I learned, and I'm an introverted extrovert. I love people, but I also love my alone time. So I learned two things. I learned through my healing process that I love hanging out with myself. I'm pretty fun by myself. Like I'm really, really fun by myself. I love drinking my hot cocoa and reading in a good book and listening to classical music and going out in my garden, connecting with nature and just really connecting with Ashley. Like I am fun. And I affirm that with myself too. I used to be afraid to be by myself be, and I used to be a people pleaser because I didn't like myself. I mean, I could go on and on about that. But then the other thing I learned while I was healing was, okay, I love being with myself, but I love connecting with other people. And it was when I started, it was actually when I started sharing my story of Lyme disease and postpartum depression. It, we hadn't even gotten like to my dad yet, that people started reaching out to me and getting curious and offering help and saying, Hey, I actually know somebody else going through Lyme disease, postpartum depression. Would you be willing to talk to them? Yes, absolutely. Let's talk. And having connections in that way, creating a safe space. And I want to say this though, like connection is so important, but you have to make sure that it's an authentic, loving and empowering environment for you. I did at one point join a Lyme disease support group, but I found that I don't want to be here. I want to be around people who are healed and people who are wanting to heal. And so I read all all the, the most like empowering self-development books that I could. I learned about the law of attraction. I read Allie Hilfiger, Tommy Hilfiger's daughter. She wrote the book, Bite Me. She healed from Lyme disease. That's really what started my interest in the law of attraction. And I was like, oh, I can actually manifest my healing. Let's do this. And so I started getting in that way. And suddenly more people that were like-minded in my new beliefs, I started surrounding myself with that and I started healing. So there's just so much power in connection, connecting with self, connecting with others, joining communities. I joined a choir while I was healing because I felt like I wanted to sing. I can't tell you why. I just really wanted to. So I joined a choir and those connections I made were so incredible. I've joined entrepreneur groups to just be around other like-minded entrepreneurs. I'm a member, not even member, but I have so many like-minded friends who believe in the power of manifestation and they're spiritual, not religious. And it's just being able to connect with those friends, whether it's on phone, audio, text, email, whatever it is daily has just inspired me and lifted me up. So I talk a lot about that in my book. I interviewed a couple of friends. One of them was Dr. Jamil Zaki, who's a Stanford psychologist who wrote a book called The War for Kindness. And it's a book about empathy. That book was so powerful and healing for me as a person and our society all needs this right now. But kindness, doing things for other people, even if you're sick, gets you outside of your victim mindset that's so easy to be in. Trust me, I was in victim mode for a while. I was like, whoa, is me. But when you start doing things for other people and stepping outside your own world, and whether it's like making a meal or checking in or even praying for someone, it doesn't have to be an outward act of kindness where you get thanked for it. It could be taking time to just pray for someone and send them healing thoughts and support. That makes all the difference too. I have a lot to say about connection. And also in my day job is I run a PR firm. So I am a natural connector, but it's also just such a healing power that anyone can use too. I think we've all realized how important it is in the last couple of years. There's like a split group, the people who have realized, oh my gosh, like I can't believe this is what life is without connection. This sucks versus the other people that are like, 
hermiting, their depression is deepening. <laughs> that doesn't mean need to be going out and doing something like ecstatic dance or like these big social events. It could be like texting your bestie or like having a real conversation. So I think connection, it takes the weight of our trauma off of just ourselves and it kind of shares it with everybody else who's gone through what we have and just makes our load a lot lighter. But I want to go deeper into your feel framework that helps us move through our emotions. Can you share about that? Yes. Okay. So this framework came to be in five years of healing. Once I was like, okay, I I really figured out how to move through my emotions. I had done it a million times. I've done a ton of therapy and energy healing and just figuring it out through myself. And so when I sat down one day and I was like, okay, here's what I do. I do this, I do this, I do this. And then I was like, oh my God, it literally spells feel. No joke, this spells feel. And I was like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so I got so excited. And I was like, I can't believe this. I figured something out. So empowering. So the feel framework is a framework that I've used to one, give myself permission to feel, but also move through any emotion that I'm feeling. And that can be an uncomfortable, messy feeling. It could be grief or trauma, like those yucky feelings that you don't want to process, or it could be happiness. It could be excitement. It's anything you're feeling that you feel needs to be addressed within your body. And you can do this through a meditation. You can do it while you're in the car. You can do it anywhere. It can take as long or short as you want. It's just the the fact that there's a framework that I've discovered that has helped me that I'm hoping can help others. So how to feel, look at me, I'm like getting my tongue tied how the feel framework works is first you focus on that emotion, focus on what you're feeling. You don't need to always identify it because sometimes we can't identify what we're feeling. We're just feeling off. We're just feeling something. That's okay too. Still focus on it. So if you're feeling, let's say that grief is bubbling up or those uncomfortable emotions of having a conversation with your colleague at work, or maybe it's just something's off in my gut. I don't know what it is. Focus on that emotion. All right. So what is it? Okay. I've got this weird feeling in my gut. Then I want you to enter within the emotion. So this is the part that gets uncomfortable. You don't ever want to address these yucky, yet messy feelings, right? So you get uncomfortable, but you go into that emotion. So enter into that emotion. So you can do that closing your eyes, meditating. Again, you could be walking. You could just be sitting there. Okay, I'm feeling this weird sensation in my gut right now. Okay, why is it? I'm like a little bit off. I had this weird conversation at work and it's not sitting well with me. So enter within that emotion. Next, experience that emotion. So what is that emotion calling you to do? And this goes back to those primal emotions. If you want to scream, let it out. If you feel like punching something, do it. If you need to sigh, let it out. Get it out in some way. Experience it. If you need to cry and you feel about like the bubbles of tears coming up, let it go. Just allow your body to release in a physical way, just whatever it is that you're feeling. And also if nothing comes up, that's also okay. Because I will tell you this, this is a muscle that takes flexing multiple times. You don't just go through a feel framework or go through addressing trauma and expect for all the tears to come out and then you're done. Because some people, like the first time I was like, man, I don't, I don't miss my dad. Yeah, I move on. But at least I had the awareness that I missed him. That's step one. So experience whatever you experience and that's okay. And then the last part is L. Listen learn and love that emotion. Listen to that emotion. What is that feeling trying to tell you? I feel feelings and emotions are here for a reason. There's lessons within them. 
get curious about it. Get curious about why you might be feeling angry. Get curious about why you might be feeling that grief. Just get curious. So listen and learn from that emotion. Ask that emotion. You can do this through writing. What is it here to teach me? What is this feeling here to teach me today? And then love it back because I have learned that all emotions, we deserve love. We have anger. We can express anger for a reason. And I think it's a very spiritual thing that we can do that. Thank God we're allowed to cry. What a beautiful thing that we have. I'm loving that emotion back for for the ability, I'm loving my body and myself for the ability to cry my tears and release these feelings of sadness. So that's the full feel framework. And it's something that you can do at any time. It can look different for everyone, but it's focus, enter, experience, and then listen, learn, and love it back. And I have learned that doing this process now for years and years and years has helped me so much overcome, process, and heal from my trauma of my past. And it took a long time and I'm still healing and I'm still addressing those emotions that come up. But now what I'm doing is I'm not burying them back down. I'm addressing them in real time and therein lies the huge difference. That is so powerful. Somehow it is also intuitively what I do just without the same words for the framework. Well, I guess it's not so intuitive because it took me like a decade and a half to figure it out, but it was enough for learning different things, understanding what other people said. And I was like, no, I need to feel this. And like I said earlier, I think what we often get caught up in doing when we first go without any direction to feel our feelings is that we just add a greater voice to that same old story that's been causing all of the depression and the anxiety or whatever that is that we're trying to feel. And then it strengthens those feelings. And so it's not actually releasing it. And what I love about your framework is it brings you back into your body instead of your head, which is the first part. So we can actually dig in and find the stuck trauma and release it. And then you ask yourself the questions to allow new information to come instead of that same old story to be repeating itself and strengthening that. So instead, you turn to your inner wisdom and you ask questions to allow your inner wisdom to come through and actually guide you. So you find a deeper meaning to the pain that you're feeling. But one question I do have for you is, a lot of the trauma that you experienced in your 30s was physical. And so I know that with physical trauma, there's so much that can happen where we viscerally react to things or we resist things without even mentally understanding that we're doing it. How did you get your body back in balance after that physical trauma? Well, first I want to say, having gone through a physical trauma now, I have so much empathy for anyone experiencing a physical trauma because it is so painful. And what was so maddening about my own physical trauma was that you could look at me like you're looking at me right now and you would have no idea what type of pain I'm in. And it was such a wake-up call to me that I can look at any person and they could be in extreme amount of pain and I would never know. And I feel that was just something that the universe to me wanted me to become aware of, that there's a lot of pain in this world and people really do put on that strong face and don't express it. But for me, how did I feel? Oh my God, physical healing was so excruciating. And I'm going to say this, I don't think my body would have physically started healing if I hadn't started emotionally and spiritually healing. I had to address the spiritual part and the emotional part first before my body started healing. So spiritual healing first and emotional healing next. 
that's when my body started to physically heal. What I did to physically heal my body was first sat in the pain. I sat in that pain and I affirmed to myself that this was only temporary. I literally said, Ashley, this is temporary. So how I moved through that pain was by telling myself that this is temporary. I know you can't get out of bed today, but it was temporary. So then if I couldn't get out of bed, there was a ton of breath work and meditation to be done. I can't tell you how many Deepak Chopra meditations I listened to while I was healing, but I'm telling you, I was set on manifesting my healing, but it didn't start until I started addressing my traumas, my emotional traumas from my past. What else I did was I took a hard look at stress in my life and discovered that it came into the awareness that I was an extreme people pleaser, that I was putting everybody else's needs first except for my own. I was that wife who would wake up in the morning at 7 a.m. and go grocery shopping to make sure dinner was on the table perfectly set every night. I made sure that my babies had pureed baby food. I was literally killing myself by overworking myself in all aspects of my life. And when I became sick, there was no way I could do any of that but focus on healing me. So I just stopped people-pleasing because I physically couldn't do it. Instead, I started focusing on slowing down, eliminating stress from my life, which was so important. All of my doctors and my holistic friends and healers were like, you got to eliminate stress. I started yoga very, very, very slowly. And I couldn't even walk. I could walk around a block in my early days of healing. My diet changed significantly. You know, processed foods, I eliminated. I eliminated sugar. I eliminated mostly breads and flours because I wanted to start fueling my body with things that from the earth that were good for me and also herbs. So I started eating, taking a lot of herbs and vitamins. Again, slow, slow process to re-nourish my body. There was like B12 and cat's claw and L-lysine and I'm a big fan of medical medium and herbology. And so I've been, I started taking a lot of herbs and that took about one full year to physically heal. And then of course, because it was Lyme disease, I got a pick line. So I had to have IV antibiotics. And because it was postpartum depression, I had other medications that I was taking too, to help me get out of this despair. So what I want to say is that there was no one perfect approach. It was many different modalities that helped me. And I integrated them all into my life. There was a combination of Eastern Medicine and Western medicine, I would say probably 70 Eastern, the rest Western and the Western being the antibiotics and the medication I had to take. But I want to reiterate that none of this physical healing would have happened if I had not first addressed what spiritually, emotionally, and mentally needed to happen too. That's such a good point because I think sometimes we focus all in on one side or the other. And for me, when I had prenatal depression, one thing that I found very interesting was there was a period of time where I just couldn't eat. I was nauseated the entire nine months pretty badly, but then there were certain times where I couldn't eat anything. There was a whole month where the only thing that I could manage to swallow was like bread and tomato sauce, which is crazy because apparently the tomato sauce was just making my acid reflux way worse. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Well, I was eating like these little processed things, which I normally don't eat and wondering why my depression was so bad. And it was interesting because when I actually was able to eat a normal meal, so much of 
my emotional feelings started to clear up. Not all the way, but I was then able to actually focus on them. But I could feel and I knew. I'm like, I feel like crap because of what I'm eating and also the hormones. <laughs> I think we need to look at the big picture with everything. Everything is connected and one thing affects the other thing. So thank you for clarifying that it's never just one thing. And the final question I want to ask you, because we did talk about connecting with people. We also talked about being a people pleaser though. And I am an empath. And you talk about the role that empathy plays in owning your authentic power. But I'm wondering how you define empathy and the balance of that. Because for me, I can empath a little too hard. (laughs) And then I can try to protect myself by closing myself off. So how do you use empathy? Us empaths, what I've learned is that we need to protect ourselves. We need to have very firm, strong boundaries in place. And I have learned that the hard way because I am such a people pleaser and I feel all the feelings that everybody has and clients at work are upset about something. I feel it. I get so down and dramatic about it, right? A couple of things that I do, a meditation, like a protection bubble meditation in the morning, just to like put a shield around me. My feelings are my own. Others are somebody else's. Those feelings are not my feelings. And then something else that I've done is because I boundaries has been a work in progress and a constant struggle for me that I fully admit. I have team members in place. Well, my husband's one of them, but also my assistant at work. I tell her, you are my boundary setter. You are my gatekeeper. It is okay for you to push back when I say, I want to schedule this meeting today. You tell me that I have five meetings and I can't take any more meetings. So rallying people around me to be like, hey, if I say this, I want you to put me in check because really that's not good for my health and well-being, but the empath in me wants it to happen. And so it's really about having conversations with those around you to get that empathetic support, but also protecting yourself too. So at the end of the day, I feel like I need Ashley alone time in the morning. I also need Ashley alone time to protect my energy. And it's just kind of like shielding myself in a bubble. And then sometimes at night to release energy, it could be taking a bath, drinking a tea, really just like letting that energy meditating through it too, having just releasing others energy that may have come upon you during the day. But being an empath, what it means to me is that I feel like I can feel others' feelings like with and without anyone telling me. I could look at you and tell you, I see your stress today. I see you're this. I see you're tired. And I feel that too. And I want to help you, right? Empathetic people are helpers. There is a fine line between helping. And there's also a fine line between like going above and beyond when it's at a detriment to your health when you're an empath. So you have to protect yourself. And my two main ways are doing a protection bubble meditation and then also enlisting support from other people to let them know that you need help in this area, that you want to help everyone, but I need you to support me in knowing that I struggle with this because I am an empath and I need you to help me set some boundaries. Right. And there's power in focusing your attention there. Like it's hard to discern or it's hard to process your own feelings, I should say, if you don't even know if they're yours or not. And that was one of the biggest things for me. I'm like, why am I so moody? It's like, oh, maybe I should not hang out with depressed or angry people. (laughs) Ask yourself, are these feelings my own? That's what I do. Like oftentimes I have to deal with many different, I'm in the service industry and PR. So I deal with many different feelings and egos and emotions. And at the end of the day, if I'm feeling frustrated, I ask myself, 
is this my feeling or is that the conversation I had earlier? And usually it's not my feeling at all. And then even it's by like identifying that this isn't mine, I don't own this, that can be a game changer for an empath too. That's like having that awareness that, okay, this emotion is not my own, therefore I'm cool. And just having that framework and emotion, it's really helpful. (laughs) It's so true. And again, just asking yourself that question, is this mine or is it somebody else's? It opens yourself up to that higher wisdom And it's just creating the space for your own healing, which a lot of this comes back to. So thank you so much for all of the wisdom that you have on this topic. It took me decades to learn, and I wish I had a book like this when I was trying to figure my shit out. So for listeners that are resonating with you and they'd like to learn more about you and your book, where's the best place for them to connect? Oh, thank you so much. I want to say I wrote this book because it's the book that I wish I had too when I was going through this. You can find me at Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y, Bernardi, B-E-R-N-A-R-D-I.com. So it's AshleyBernardi.com. And you can find my book, Authentic Power, Give Yourself Permission to Feel at all the major bookstores, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. And yeah, I hope you enjoy it. And I hope it gives you some healing. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 204. Guess what your challenge for this week is? No, it's not to have a big toddler tantrum. Well, unless you need to. It's to give yourself permission to feel wherever that feeling is leading you. But I would advise you to not sit there and add more power to the story and sink into your victimhood. It's one thing to consciously release your emotions And it's a whole other to sit there and wallow in your sorrow. They might look like the same thing from the outside, and that's okay because this is an internal process. It doesn't need to look a certain way on the outside. So yes, it might look like a big giant toddler tantrum. It might look like just sitting there in stillness and asking yourself questions. I will give you a little tip though. When I sit there and feel my feelings, it's almost like everything in my body wants to wallow in the sorrow. (laughs) It's hard to think about anything else. And so instead, bring attention to the physical sensations in your body. And when you do start to think, if you find yourself falling into that victim mentality, instead, ask yourself questions. Where am I feeling this? What needs to be released? What tension can I let go of? Are there hidden emotions that aren't yet being released? Can I access those? You don't need to know how, but sometimes just that higher thought of asking yourself the question will enable your body to do the rest. It'll guide you just like you are following your higher wisdom because that is exactly what you're doing. So much of my path of following my higher wisdom is just asking myself the right questions and then trusting that what comes through is exactly what I need. So let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. And while you're in there, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on Instagram and tag mindlovepodcast and mindlovemelissa. That is a great way to support the show. Also sending this episode directly to a friend is another great way to support the show. Other ways to show your support and to keep Mind Love running is by supporting one of my amazing sponsors. I absolutely love them all, so it's really a win-win if you purchase through them. You get something that you love and they sponsor me for longer. You can also join Mind Love Premium. This is where the whole Mind Love community is. You can join by going to mindlove.com premium or join right in the Apple Podcasts app. 
And finally, a great way to support the show is by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do, I just may read your review on the show. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 